0: Book 3, Chapter 10 of History of the Reformation in the Sixteenth Century, Volume 1, by Jean-Henri Mel d'Aubigné, translated by Henry Beveridge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 10. Popular Writings Our Father, Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, Our Daily Bread, Sermon on Repentance, Forgiveness through Christ such were the struggles which the champion of the word of god had to maintain at the outset of his career but these combats with the leaders of society these academical disputes are of small account with the christian human doctors imagine they have gained the noblest of triumphs if they succeed in filling some newspapers and some saloons with the noise of their systems as it is with them more an affair of self-love or party spirit than of good to humanity, this worldly success satisfies them. Accordingly, their labours are only a smoke which, after blinding us, passes off and leaves no trace behind. Neglecting to introduce their fire among the masses of the population, they do nothing more than make it skim along the surface of society. It is not so with the Christian his object is not success in a coterie or an academy but the salvation of souls he therefore willingly avoids the brilliant skirmishing which he might carry on at his ease with the champions of the world and prefers the obscure labours which carry life and light into rural cottages and the lanes of cities thus did luther or rather according to the precept of his master he did the one without leaving the other undone. While combating inquisitors, university chancellors, and masters of the sacred palace, he strove to diffuse sound religious knowledge among the multitude. With that view he, at this time, published different popular writings, such as his Discourses on the Ten Commandments, delivered two years before in the Church of Wittenberg, and which we have already noticed, and his exposition of the Lord's Prayer for simple and ignorant laymen. Who would not like to know how the reformer then addressed the people? We will quote some of the words which he sent, as he says in the preface to the second of these works, to course the country. Prayer, that inward act of the heart, will doubtless ever be one of the points with which a reformation in heart and life must commence, and accordingly it early engaged the attention of Luther. It is impossible in a translation to keep up his energetic style and the vigour of a language which was formed, so to speak, as it fell from his pen. However, we will try. When you pray, says he, have few words, but many thoughts and affections, and, above all, let these be profound. The less you speak, the better you pray." few words and many thoughts make the christian many words and few thoughts the pagan seeming and bodily prayer is that muttering of the lips that external babble which comes forth without attention striking the eyes and ears of men but prayer in spirit and in truth is the inward desire the emotions and sighs which proceed from the depths of the heart the former is the prayer of hypocrites and of all who trust in themselves the latter is the prayer of the children of god who walk in his fear then coming to the first words of our lord's prayer our father he thus expresses himself among all the names of god there is none which inclines more toward him than the name of father we should not have so much happiness and consolation in calling him lord or god or judge by this name of father his bowels of compassion are moved for there is no voice more lovely or touching than that of a child to its father who art in heaven he who confesses that he has a father in heaven owns himself to be as it were an orphan on the earth hence his heart feels an ardent desire like that of a child living out of its father's country among strangers in wretchedness and sorrow it is as if he said alas my father thou art in heaven and i thy miserable child am on the earth far from thee in all sorts of dangers necessities and sorrows hallowed be thy name he who is passionate and envious who curses or slanders dishonours god in whose name he was baptized applying the vessel which god has consecrated to profane uses he resembles a priest who should use the holy cup to give drink to a sow or to gather manure thy kingdom come those who amass wealth who erect magnificent buildings who seek after all that the world can give and with the lips repeat this prayer are like the large pipes of a church organ which sounds and cries at full pitch and without ceasing but has neither words nor sense nor reason farther on luther attacks the error of pilgrimages which was then so general one goes to rome another to st james one builds a chapel another founds an endowment in order to reach the kingdom of god BUT ALL NEGLECT THE ESSENTIAL POINT, WHICH IS TO BECOME THEMSELVES HIS KINGDOM. WHY DO YOU GO BEYOND SEAS IN QUEST OF THE KINGDOM OF GOD? YOUR HEART IS THE PLACE IN WHICH IT OUGHT TO RISE. IT IS A DREADFUL THING, CONTINUES HE, TO HEAR US UTTER THIS PRAYER, THY WILL BE DONE. WHERE IN THE CHURCH DO WE SEE THIS WILL DONE? BISHOP RISES AGAINST BISHOP, AND CHURCH AGAINST CHURCH priests, monks, and nuns, quarrel and fight, throughout there is nothing but discord. And yet all parties exclaim that they have a good will and an upright intention, and so to the honour and glory of God they altogether do the work of the devil. Why do we say, our bread, continues he, explaining these words, give us this day our daily bread? because we pray not for the ordinary bread which pagans eat and which god gives to all men but for our bread bread to us children of the heavenly father and what then is this bread of god it is jesus christ our lord i am the living bread which came down from heaven and give life to the world wherefore let us not deceive ourselves sermons and instructions which do not represent to us or give us the knowledge of jesus christ cannot be the daily bread and food of our souls what avails it that such a bread is prepared for us if it is not served out to us and we cannot taste it it is as if a magnificent feast were prepared and there were nobody to hand the bread bring the dishes and pour out the liquor so that the guests would be left to feed by the eye and the smell THIS IS THE REASON WHY IT IS NECESSARY TO PREACH CHRIST AND CHRIST ALONE. BUT WHAT, THEN, YOU ASK, IS IT TO KNOW JESUS CHRIST, AND WHAT PROFIT IS GAINED BY IT? ANSWER, TO LEARN TO KNOW JESUS CHRIST IS TO COMPREHEND WHAT THE APOSTLE SAYS, CHRIST HAS OF GOD BEEN MADE UNTO US WISDOM AND RIGHTEOUSNESS AND SANCTIFICATION AND REDEMPTION now you comprehend this when you perceive that your wisdom is culpable folly your righteousness damnable iniquity your holiness damnable pollution your redemption miserable condemnation when you feel that before god and all the creatures you are truly a fool a sinner an impure and condemned man and when you show not only by your words but from the bottom of your heart and by your works that there remains to you no comfort and no salvation save jesus christ to believe is nothing else than to eat this bread of heaven thus luther faithfully fulfilled his resolution to open the eyes of a people whom priests had blindfolded and were leading at their pleasure his writings, which in a short time spread over all Germany, caused new light to arise, and shed the seeds of truth in abundance on a soil well prepared to receive it. But while thinking of those at a distance, he did not forget those who were near. The Dominicans from their pulpits denounced him as an infamous heretic. Luther, the man of the people, and who, had he been so disposed, could, with a few sentences have set them in commotion, always disdain such triumphs, and made it his sole aim to instruct his hearers. His reputation, which was continually extending, and the courage with which he raised the banner of Christ in the midst of an enslaved church, made his sermons to be followed with increasing interest. Never had the confluence been so great. Luther went straight to the point— one day, having mounted the pulpit of Wittenberg, he undertook to establish the doctrine of repentance. The discourse pronounced on this occasion afterwards became very celebrated, and contained several of the fundamental principles of evangelical doctrine. At first he contrasts the pardon of men with the pardon of heaven. There are, says he, two remissions, the remission of the penalty and the remission of the fault. The former reconciles man externally with the church, the latter, which is the heavenly indulgence, reconciles man with God. If a man has not within himself that tranquil conscience, that cheerful heart which God's remission gives, no indulgence can aid him were he to buy all that ever had been on the earth. He afterwards continues thus. They wish to do good works before their sins are pardoned whereas sins must be pardoned before good works can be done. Works do not banish sin, but banish sin and you will have works. Good works should be done with a cheerful heart and a good conscience toward God, in other words, with the forgiveness of sins. He then comes to the principal object of his sermon, an object which was identified with that of the whole Reformation the church had put herself in the place of god and his word he objects to this and makes everything depend on faith in the word the remission of the fault says he is not in the power of the pope or the bishop or the priest or any man whatever but rests solely on the word of christ and your own faith for christ did not choose to build our comfort or our salvation on a word or work of man but only on himself on his own work and word your repentance and your works may deceive you but christ your god will never deceive will never waver and the devil cannot overthrow his words a pope or a bishop has no more power than the humblest priest where the remission of the fault is in question and even where there is no priest each christian were it a woman or a child can do the same thing for if a simple christian says to you god pardons sin in the name of jesus christ and you receive the saying with firm faith as if god himself had spoken you are acquitted if you believe not that your sins are pardoned, you make your God a liar, and declare that you put greater confidence in your vain thoughts than in God and his word. Under the Old Testament, neither priest nor king nor prophet had power to proclaim the forgiveness of sins, but under the New Testament every believer has this power. The church is quite replete with the remission of sins. If a pious Christian comforts your conscience by the word of the cross, be it man or woman, young or old, receive the comfort with a faith so firm that you would sooner submit to many deaths than doubt that it is ratified in the presence of God. Repent, and do all the works that you can do, but let the faith which you have in the pardon of Jesus Christ stand in the front rank, and have sole command on the field of battle." thus spoke luther to his astonished and enraptured hearers all the scaffoldings which impudent priests had for their own profit reared between god and the soul of man were thrown down and man brought face to face with his maker the word of pardon came down pure from on high without passing through a thousand corrupting channels it was no longer necessary that the testimony of God, in order to be available, should previously be stamped by men with their false seal. The monopoly of the sacerdotal caste was abolished, and the church emancipated. End of book three, chapter ten.